Welcome to a special edition of Speaking of Strong Style. I'm Stephen Conway. With me, as always, Jeremy Feinstone. We're contributors to the Fight Game Media Network. It's Power Struggle Day, and New Japan Pro Wrestling had its big show in Osaka to set up the Tokyo Dome, and we did indeed get a couple of things out of this. One, we got a wonderful, wonderful wrestling show. This was a hell of a show. We got a wonderful Osaka crowd, enthusiastic into everything, and we did. We did indeed get a uh, nice setup uh, for the Tokyo Dome. We know a lot more about the Dome than we did yesterday from this one. And most importantly, Jeremy, once again, a brilliant performance from Will Ospreay, a fantastic main event, a great night of wrestling overall. If Will Ospreay isn't Wrestler of the Year, I don't know what we're doing. There, There's a lot to say about what Will Ospreay did tonight. There's also a lot to say about what Shota Umino did tonight. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a lot to say about what the entire card did tonight, in, in all honesty. I went from a like four to a five to my excitement for Wrestle Kingdom, and I think I'm at about an eight now. I think mm-hmm. I'm I think I'm primed, and now it's just let's let's tenderize before before we're there. But if there aren't a whole lot of banner matches introduced beyond what we got tonight, I'm still okay with Wrestle Kingdom this year. Yeah, I, this was just a terrific night of wrestling, and it it they really had a, a strong crowd as well, uh, and it was just one of those feelings that was almost. Uh, I'm not saying we're back to pre-pandemic levels of enthusiasm because there's still that a lot of applauding and things but these fans were into everything they got and um it was just a fun day overall and uh even you it know, was a special show yeah it, it really like, was you could say it. it was a special show yeah this one felt really good it was one of the better new japan shows of the year yeah. uh and it was just a strong night everybody seemed enthusiastic about everything they were into what they were doing and the fans went right along with them and we're going to run down each match from tonight and talk about the repercussions of it because almost everything played into something. There were there weren't a whole lot of things on this show that were self-contained, which I think is pretty strong booking. This hasn't been Ghetto's best year as New Japan Booker. However, there the, what we saw today was a very well thought out card, and uh, I really enjoyed it right there. And Brad is with us. I'm glad uh, glad you're with us, Brad. There. Uh, I was telling I was telling Brad uh, in our Discord that it felt like, in a lot of ways, this year in New Japan, they've been kind of in cruise control and just kind of letting their homegrown talent kind of simmer and grow and just kind of get better at what they're doing. And uh, from there, like now we're hitting the throttle. Now we're going into Wrestle Kingdom. Everything that they've done up to this point, now they're ready to to simmer and bake. And I am going to close the door because my dog's going wild right now. <laughs> well, he has a lot to say about it too. So, uh, yeah, let's get into some of this stuff. So while Jeremy's doing that, we're going to begin with the main event, uh, which is one of the better matches of the year. And I feel like every time Will Ospreay gets into the ring, uh, it, it feels like that. And Brad mentions, how does Osprey turning uh, turn down working in front of crowds like that? That has to be worth more than money. Not really, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it, and that's the answer, isn't it? Is that somebody's going to throw uh, the, throw a ton of money at this dude eventually. He'll and, still be able to work the big shows. He's just not going to be at the house shows and doing all that. Like, you see Danielson, you see Moxley, you see these guys coming from North America and from other promotions. They're going to come in. I don't think it's the last we'll ever have seen of Osprey, but I definitely feel like we are we are sundowning on his active New Japan career right now. 
Could very well be. And if he and of course if he goes to WWE, we won't see him much at all. But uh, yeah. if he goes to AEW, there's always uh, some chances right there. But I understand what you mean. Like there was a thing that happened today during the introductions that I hadn't heard before at all. This crowd was ready to chant Osprey, Osprey all together at key moments. And he did kind of egg it on a little bit, but I, I can't believe how quickly they took to it during his music. It's a coordinated part of his song where they just hit his name. Ah, spray, ah, spray. It sounded perfect. It sounded like it's been going on for years. Like it was Kaze Ninare, you know, like it's something you already know how to do, but I don't think I've heard the crowd in new Japan do it before. I didn't even pick up on that, but I will say, no, I was definitely struck by how pro Osprey this crowd was. I was expecting a little bit more Shota reaction and he had his fans in there. There was a, there was a strong Shota presence, but when you watch this match, you feel like this crowd walks off screen. So we have the IWGP United States UK heavyweight title. And so we've been talking about these belts and all of a sudden there are two belts now, one for the U S and one for the UK. And they're both on the line. And and that, that seemed important at the time, but it didn't mm-hmm. turn out to be. And we'll get to that. But uh, the crowd was chanting it. Like I said, the music was, that was very cool. And uh, the match began. And this was uh, at the end of a long night. This is a long show. So you start to worry a little bit. It's like, hmm, can he, can he keep the crowd up? Didn't have to worry. The table uh, was set up about seven minutes in, but it wasn't used right away, although that table would become very important. I'm going to talk about a key sequence in this one because this match went over 40 minutes. So I, I, I'm, not, I'm not even going to try to do it justice by discussing move by move, but I am going to talk about some of them. Key sequence was uh, he hit the Cheeky Nando's kick, that one where he kind of folds the guy up in the corner and he can't move his head and he's kind of stuck upside down against the turnbuckle and and those kicks busted showed his nose. They had been wrestling like a lot of these matches are, which are good fundamental matches between Shota Umino and Osprey, both of them very men, very capable. Something turned in... Umino, the way he decided he was going to work this match, and I'm sure it was pre-planned, but I, I like this. This is something we had not seen from Umino before. He got really pissed off at Boss Osprey. <laughs> so he mm-hmm. got out of that thing, the, the Nando's kicks. His nose is bleeding. He started walking right through some of those chops that Osprey throws, and Osprey throws good chops. He rocked him with a forearm and then showed a mean streak that we really haven't seen from him before. He started stomping on him, back of his head, back, just his back. He threw him out of the ring. No, he didn't throw him out of the ring. He hung him over the rope and vaulted over the top rope and hit a hanging DDT on the apron that looked great. I can't Mm -hmm. say I've really seen that version of it before. Uh, He then hit a shotgun shotgun dropkick right over the rail. Uh, Colin's here. Oh, we're just getting started, man. Uh, I'm glad you're here. Uh, yeah, we're only, we're still talking about the first match, which we're going to go backwards. We're going to start with the main event and work our way back. Uh, but glad you're here. So he has a shotgun dropkick, sends Will over the rail. He then whips Osprey over about six or seven rows of chairs. That looked great. It just things flying up everywhere, a crowd scattering, Will's selling like hell. He then starts trash-talking Osprey, drags him over to the timekeeper's table, and clears it off and says, you want a table, Osprey? Picks it up and throws it into Will's face. This is fantastic. This is what Umino needed, that edge, a little bit of a mean streak. He was pissed. Uh, I loved it. Uh, then they started hitting the big moves. We were barely ho- halfway home when they hit Oscutter, Ignition. So it started to feel like, oh, this could end any time. But what we didn't know was that we were a good 15, 20 minutes away from the finish. And there was good stuff ahead. 
Uh, Will eventually got the Tiger Driver through the table off the apron. Another one had been set up, so there were actually two right there. And that teased the count out on Umino. Of course, he slid back in at 19, just barely. There was uh, an os cutter at the 25-minute mark, uh, and Will missed the hidden blade. Then he stopped a tornado DDT and hit a hidden blade into the face. This thing was just a roller coaster ride of emotion right here through. And I honestly wasn't sure who was going to win this thing, the way they were working it. Uh, they slugged it out with forearms, and Will ended up winning that battle. Kicked Shodomino within an inch of his life. He's barely conscious. He's he's dying. You know, the, the talk is should Red Shoe stop this thing? His son is getting destroyed in front of him. They uh, got a full mount on Umino, so the idea was that Will was just going to rain down those 12-6 elbows until the referee stopped it. However, John Moxley, who had had quite the uh, match himself earlier in the night, comes down with his head bandaged up because if he wrestles, he bleeds. Uh, and he had oh, the, and he bled. Uh, he, he sure did. There's a lot of uh, a lot of John Moxley laying around uh, Eddie on Arena right now, but he fires up Umino. It worked. He powers out of the full mount. Hits a lariat and an STF at the half hour mark. Later, he hits a package DDT. The crowd at this point was doing rolling thunder. They were so into this thing, you know, stomping on the bleachers to get the noise going. He then does a sequence of DDTs. I mentioned the package DDT. He then hits a power DDT. That's when he kind of jumps up in the air and swings down. He hits the tornado DDT. A spinning death rider. Still can't quite get the pin. He eventually hits a butterfly suplex uh, from the top rope for two. Will got his foot on the ropes at 35 minutes. I'm going to ask you this, Jeremy. At this yes. point in this sequence, Moxley at ringside, he powers out of the full mount, which was the story, right? That maybe they were going to do another referee stoppage. Did you feel like I did, which is like, you know, they might actually put Shota over here. I mean, it, it, it was, it, they had worked the match so effectively, the doubt creeped in. I thought they had gone a little too far to do that. I felt like... If they were going to do it, I felt like the match would have been shorter. And I don't know why the psychology I had of that, but um, everything in the match was building to the crescendo to me of like, he's going to get so close. He's going to mm -hmm. get so, so close to this match. Uh, and then is he going to do it? So doubt creeping in, potentially. But to me, I never saw Shota... He never saw a show that it's the moment for him. There are just so many other things in the pipeline for him that the escalation of him beating Will right now would have quite literally blown my mind, and we'd be having a completely different conversation. <laughs> well, and, and Brad mentions Robbie Eagles, who was on commentary. He came and said, and we did, did very well, by the way, uh, said that uh, this was the roughneck. That was when we were seeing the, that attitude right there. So another, uh, another sequence is worth mentioning. Uh, after the butterfly suplex and Will got his foot on the ropes, Shota got the full mount after that and beat on Osprey until he got a nine count. They did the whole like a possible knockout thing. He then hit the blaze blade, and that's the move he's been using to finish matches on the road to power struggle shows throughout Super Junior Tag Leagues. It's basically a hidden blade, except it's a European uppercut to the back. He hit that. Then he hit a death rider. But as he hit the death rider, Will bounced up and hit a dying hidden blade and just like hit that hidden blade as he was falling unconscious to the mat and it knocked both of them silly and Shota couldn't make the cover, which I thought was fantastic. And he then got him up for a stormbreaker, 
but Shota turned it into a Hurricane Rana, and that's all Will, like holding mm-hmm. holding a pretty heavy guy, big guy. Shota's not small. And then getting him up and into position where he can hit a Hurricane Rana on him and roll him up for the uh, for a, a, almost a near fall there. Will hit a hidden blade for a one count. That got a pop. Death Rider by Will. Storm Driver 93 for two. Hidden Blade. And then finally Stormbreaker. It took every finishing move will osprey has thought of in wrestling in order to beat shota umino 40 minutes and 15 seconds of brilliance between these two by far the best shota umino performance one of bill's but uh, will's best performances of the year and i gotta mention every time will gets in the ring i feel like we have a match in the year candidate this guy could occupy six or seven of the top 10 spots i cannot say enough great things about this match um Let's just let's just table Will for a second here, because we all know how good that he is, and he showed it once again. The argument that we're going to be having here is whether this was a top three, a top two, or a top five match of his this year. And it's when incredible. we get to that point, it's somewhat inconsequential. Right. We'll all have different opinions. What we need to talk about here is Shota Umino. This was the match that he needed to have so that he didn't get lost in the shuffle with Yoda Suji and Ren Narita. So when people are going back and saying, who's the guy? Is it going to be Yoda? Is it going to be Ren? Is it going to be Shota? People are going to look at this match and say, this is why it's going to be Shota. And it's healthy, and and it was his time to shine, and he delivered. And I cannot understate enough how amazingly he delivered in this match. He blew away every single expectation that I had about what he was going to do in this match and how he was going to be able to compose himself. He looked like a seasoned main eventer in this match, and he was able to hold his own with Will Ospreay. He was able to hold his own in for 40 minutes going top to bottom. The poise that he had when he threw the table at Will Ospreay and Mm. uh, just looked like he was just tossing tissue paper. Like, the guy looked like a main event star. Everything about it, that table spot where they did the power bomb through the two tables, it was absolutely picture perfect. Everything that they did, top to bottom, like, Stephen, this was a fantastic main event. It really was. And we're going to get some comments in here from the guys. Uh, Brad mentions the build of this match, the story it told. It was absolutely perfect. This is easily my top three for the year. So Brad loved it also. He also said the way I screamed during that hidden blaze or blaze blade, hidden blade sequence, I might've scared my neighbors. I, I'm with you. Like I, I, I was out of my seat on that. I was like, this is incredible. And Venkin Bjorn mentions, uh, good to see you, Venkin. Uh, whoever is signing Osprey is going to pay a lot. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, they are. And uh, Brad says, Chris Charlton might be the best storyteller there is. Uh, the way he lays out the big moments during the entrance is masterful. This, I don't think, is talked about enough. I'm glad Brad mentioned it because I, I was thinking about it as well. He clearly prepares these things in advance. Like, this is Chris's time. During the big entrances, Chris writes out a little essay almost a verbal essay that he gives us there as to why this match is important to this guy why this person needs this win the history that built up to it and all of them are wonderful he really does an outstanding job you're right brad it it needs to be said a lot you could just take a collection of those and just put together a compilation of it and it would absolutely get you ready to run a marathon i mean it's just so exciting and he does uh, build everything perfectly putting into perspective uh everything that built up to the match why it's critical and, and so while you're watching all this all that's fresh in your mind 
all of it is absolutely fresh in your mind as you're watching the match. So uh, just outstanding work by everybody there. And once again, Walker Stewart on the call, hell of a good job. This guy is uh, this guy is going to be good. He did great, and pretty soon they won't feel the need to bring in Robbie Eagles or anyone else as a third person to pat it out because, honestly, Charlton and Walker by themselves would have been just fine. There was a moment after this match that actually kind of got me choked up. Do you know what I'm yeah. talking about, Stephen? I think I probably do. Yeah, this one. And uh, let's go into that before we get to some more comments because uh, there was a lot of respect between the two after. First of all, when they were laying there after the pinfall, you just like, you know, in a heap, they clasped hands mm-hmm. in there. And then and they and didn't even something. bother to hide it. No, not at all. And and that, but that was part of the story. And then afterwards, Umino in tears uh, bowed to Osprey. Osprey dropped to his knees and bowed back to Umino, which was a huge deal. Then a handshake, and you know, Shota slides out, and Moxley's comforting him. I mean, it was there was a lot of mutual respect in a lot of places, a lot of interesting places on this show. But this one was really uh, wonderfully done because you felt like each guy had earned that from the other mm-hmm. and so seeing it play out like that was was very very cool and mu- and much deserved so at the afterwards uh, so we had the whole thing where Shota rolls out of the ring he's in tears moxley's comforting him will waves moxley into the ring and of course the whole thing is will won the title we have lost the title <laughs> lost the title to moxley with his shoulder clearly up you know that whole thing and uh, Will thinks he was robbed of the title, and he, he's going to get Moxley in there. So Moxley slides back in the ring, and uh, you know he says, uh, "It looked like that was it looked like the challenge was going to be laid out there." But however, as they were discussing this, and we think we're going to get Osprey versus Moxley for the UK US title at Wrestle Kingdom, David Finlay runs out, cool, and <laughs> lays both of them out with a shillelagh, just conks them both out. There. <laughs> then. He says these titles don't mean anything to him. He takes a sledgehammer and destroys both belts. And, of course, they told the story that Moxley had defined his New Japan time by being the U.S. champion, by winning that title, that it was important to him. And, of course, the title was important enough to Will that he named it the U.K. title, saying he wanted it to represent him and his country. So they did a good job building up that these things matter to these guys, and he destroys both of them. And he says he wants to fight for a brand new title, so it'll be a three-way at the Tokyo Dome for an as yet unnamed new championship. So the whole like thing an about, intercontinental title. Yes, although Will said it will said afterwards if they can't bring back the intercontinental title, think of something. That is what he said. So he kind of left it open that they mm-hmm. might not. It might not be the intercontinental title. Although I would like to. I would like. There that. was a part of me that was hoping that it would just be Finley and Moxley for the right to fate, face Osprey at Lone Star Shootout, and it wouldn't be a three-way. But it looked like it's a three-way. Yeah, and it's going to be a three-way. okay with that. It's fine. Um, in my mind, I think Moxley's taking the pin for Finley so that Osprey doesn't have to get pinned, but that's just my conspiracy theory and all that because... I'm kicking that around in my head. Do you think Tony would be okay with him laying down for Finley? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, maybe. Tony seems to care. Wrestle Kingdom. It's 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 weird the things that Tony seems to care about. Tony seems to care about a lot of things that don't matter at all. I I frankly don't think that that Tony cares about a show that's going to be airing at midnight. In in all honesty, like he's glad his guys are there, and he has business decisions that he is 
uh, owed and he's got to, you know, he's got to do business with New Japan. And this is the night he's got to do business. But what they do over there, if his guys lose, it doesn't matter. On the pay-per-view that he had a bunch of people spend a ton of money for, his guys won. You know, so it, I think he's probably pretty fine with it. And there are a couple of thoughts here from the, from the folks that were watching that I want to get to, because it, it is an interesting, it opens up some interesting possibilities. So Brad mentions, does Shooter take over as leader of United Empire when Will leaves them without one? That's an interesting thought. Yeah. It could very well be. And by the way, the, the Finlay angle counts. This is where the poop hit the fan. Colin wasn't happy about this one. And Benkin mentions the guy no one likes, Finlay, yes. Uh, and there's all, and guys, you got to start the clock on Finlay. As soon as he lost that never title match, Tamatonga is <laughs> like, this was happening. And mm-hmm. I apologize, but I, I tried to warn you. I really did. <laughs> yeah, well, we did. We talked about on this show that the Bullet Club leader is going to be involved in things. And But Benkin says he's already the worst Bullet Club leader ever. I, uh, you know, he's uh, in the top and, five. I will give him that. He's in the top five of all bullet club leaders. Jay White Light getting involved for no reason. So, and well, he's getting the push is what he's doing. What if Moxley wins and drops it at Dominion to Shota? Now, this is something that I thought of because they talked about how what Umino wanted was to win the title from Osprey and then face his mentor at Wrestle Kingdom. And I thought the same thing here, Vanka, that they might be dangling that as a future possibility because why else say that specifically if he's not going to win and they knew he wasn't going to win they knew will was going to win they were going to do this big thing with finlay and that struck me as well i just thought oh they're going to do that sometime i don't know about that i had a kind of different view of this so if finley pins moxley and, and Brad has too. Pardon me. Before we get to that, I do want to mention that Venkin was, uh, he, Brad says to Venkin, I was thinking that too. Finley there to eat the pin to protect Will and Moxley. That's what I thought. I thought, okay, we're going to get Finlay in a major thing. And that whole thing where we threaten that Bullet Club might just take over something that we care about and Bullet Club will keep us away from something we really want. And then at the end, they're upended and the good guys kind of win, so to speak. That's where my mind went to. Okay, before now that we've set all that up. Sorry, uh, go ahead, Jeremy. Tell us. Oh, what you're you fine. Um, so if Finley were to win at Wrestle Kingdom and mm. Will Ospreay's on his way out and Mockley's just there for the night, that would set up Shota Umino as a potential front runner, as the guy to dethrone Finley and to make him as one of the as a further future ace, then showed and Moxley can have their match when he has the title again, and it could be a different thing. But what you have to do out of this is build Shota. It's not a it's about Finley, but it's then about Shota. And because Shota was in the orbit of all this angle before it all went down, I think it's pretty likely that he might be somewhere in the angle when we want to wrap it up in the conclusion, maybe in like nine or twelve months from now. Mm. I think, but I do think that Dominion idea is interesting. Oh, yeah. Moxley Absolutely. wins the thing, beating Finlay, and that protects Will, of course, because you know, like Will, there's a good chance he'll be back, you know, or at least a fighting chance that he'll be back at some point. And then you can, you know, go from there with Finlay. Uh, sure. But uh, the idea of putting Mox and Shota uh, toward the top of a card, and Shota might end up being, you know, the Osaka guy at some point. You know, there, there, there has been in the past like people that are over with that crowd enough that they they tend to just have their main events in in osaka not nowhere else but they they tend to be the osaka guy and i think omino might might end up with that i like it i just 
in my mind, I see Shota as an upstart and a guy to bring the challenge to Moxley. And so if he uh, if he were to be like, hey, I have this title. I want you to challenge me for this title. That actually makes Shota look like a badass in front of Moxley rather than Moxley being like, oh, hey, you have this title. I want my shot. Like mm. I want, I want Shota to be the hungry guy. Like, oh, you want your shot? You can have it anytime, guy. Come on. Mm. Yeah, no, I think I think it might be interesting if Shota stepped up to him after that. And Brad just said, does this throw a wrench into Ren and Shota winning tag league and then the tag team titles? Not necessarily. That could keep Shota. That's still toward... so high on my list of priorities right here. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, what happens is now. Shota's not in that picture going into Wrestle Kingdom and he needs something. And he and Narita going after Bishamon for the tag team titles could be exactly the right thing that would keep him in a very prominent spot. He mm-hmm. could hold those tag. The tag team titles can bounce around. So even if they beat Bishamon for him at Wrestle Kingdom, he could hold them for a while and still get to Moxley at Dominion. And you can do it. There are a lot of things you can do. There, there I don't think that puts I think Dominion is a little early. I think I think Dominion is the kind of show where Finley is going to be standing tall at the end of it before we going into G1 and then mm-hmm. after G1. That's when the threats to Finley are going to be happening. If Finley think- is going to be book strong going into 2024, I don't see him getting any kind of comeuppance uh, by the middle of the year. They're going to stretch that way longer if he's going to be the big bad guy for the whole year. I don't think that's how it's going to go. I mean, what I'm saying is that I, I think it's going to be Moxley with the U.S. title and, and you know, Finlay. I think Finlay is my early favorite, early favorite in the clubhouse to win the New Japan Cup by yep. crook, yep. by hook and crook. But, uh, you know, she needed to do it. But I think that's where he's going to get his shove uh, more than anything else. There, there, there are so many ways, but I think we both agree that Finlay is going to place a prominence going into 2024. Yes. Yeah. And it's going to be up to him to convince us. It's going to be up to him to convince us that he belongs there. And uh, they, uh, Bill Bird says if they could get him next year, uh, Drew would make a good Bullet Club leader. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> yeah sure would. Uh, you sure. would. He would run roughshod over everyone. You're right about that. He sure would. Uh, we'll see if that turns out, though. We got any more comments? Do you want to move on to the next one? No, that's good. I, I like that. I, I like the discussion. And what, what it's done is it's provided us with a plot line that could go about 100 different directions, yeah. and all of which would be interesting. So, well done. Yeah, Takeaway, big plan for Big Finley. We had an IWGP Junior Heavyweight title match between Hiromu Takahashi and Taichi Ishimori. And I thought there's a couple of things interesting about this one. It was a terrific match. Uh, the counters at the beginning where these guys were just sliding in and out of each other's moves were absolutely beautiful. What athletes these two are. Quick, strong, explosive. Uh, Ishimori, I thought it was interesting, wearing mostly white tights, and I think that played into it a little later. Uh, but Ishimori hit a divorce court very early, that kind of thing where you come down on the guy's shoulder, and that led to a lot of shoulder work. And that goes into the bone locks. A very smart move right there to work the shoulder. Uh, there was a victory royal into a bone lock for Ishimori. That looked good. And they kept putting Hiromu in jeopardy of having to tap because his shoulder is out, that type of thing. He worked Hiromu, over his entire left arm for the entirety of the match. And Hiromu got out of the bone lock and powered it into a time bomb at the 15-minute mark. That looked very cool. Mm-hmm. And Hiromu hit a couple of uh, pumping bombers uh, of his own uh, that he learned from Shingo Takagi. But Ishimori got the bone lock on him again. It, it was just that whole thing where it was just, can his shoulder survive this match? Hiromu made the ropes, though, and then he hit uh, the Hiromu roll uh, two different times for the win. He got it once. Ishimori managed to scramble out. Another series of counters and twists, 
he rolled them up again and got the victory. 20 minutes and 38 seconds. Again, I, I can't do it justice by just telling you move for move here. It was a terrific 20-minute, 38-second match. Uh, high speed, intelligently worked. Two athletic men that are just it was two of the best, very two of the very best super uh, juniors out there. And uh, this time, Hiromu allowed the referee to put the belt around his waist. There was a storyline going that because he never did beat Ishimori for that title, uh, he didn't put it around his waist. He carried it over his shoulder. Now that he's beaten Ishimori, he feels that he truly is the junior heavyweight champion. And afterwards, he gave Ishimori respect. Ishimori gave it back a little bit, gave him the little too sweet thing back to uh, Hiromu in the aisle. No sign of any interference from Bullet Club, no uh, anything else. There's a one-on-one like, one match. I feel like Ishimori might be leaving soon. There's not really a spot for him in this War Dog Bullet Club. I think this match was just kind of a moment-in-time match. It closed a lot of closed a lot of chapters in the junior heavyweight division. Uh, mainly because Ishimori has been hurt for so long since the yep. best of the super juniors. Uh, but they had to get this match out of the way in order to, you know, finalize what Hiromu's run has been. There are things that they wanted to do, and, you know, they're they're pretty completist when it comes to that kind of thing uh, over in New Japan. So uh, I really enjoyed this match. I thought it was the best element of what both bring to the table. Yep. And uh, they allowed it to breathe. They gave it time. And... One of the best junior heavyweight matches you're going to see around the world. Brad mentions this, the counter work by both, but more specifically, Ishimori was out of this world. Really was. It, it, they just are so smooth together. And I, I, again, I would just like to see a new coat of paint on Ishimori. I don't think he belongs at Bullet Club. This mm -hmm. version doesn't fit. And uh, if there were hints, maybe I'm looking for it too much, but I thought there were a little bit of a hints of sportsmanship from Bullet Club guy often means that they're about to leave Bullet Club uh, in Ghetto's world. So we'll see. It, After it that. could be time for, for a change, but like I said, they're going to be doing it. feels like a fresh coat of paint coming to the whole junior heavyweight division. Afterwards, Hiromu got on the microphone and said, now before anybody turns all the lights out on me and does something stupid, I am going to call out my opponent for the Tokyo Dome. And just so happened that El Desperado was on commentary at the time with the Japanese team. And uh, he called out Desperado, brought him into the ring. Despy said yes, but he wasn't going to be able to wrestle much as he has to heal up and get some minor work done on his body, but he will be at the Dome. So I'm excited about this for a lot of reasons here, Jeremy. They've been talking about, they've been talking about how Hiromba wants to break the record for title defenses in a run. So that means he's got to get past his toughest opponent. The other side of it is, after all this getting close, getting close, getting close, this could be the moment where Desperado finally gets that one final singles win over Hiromu Takahashi. I've said on this show before, I think Hiromu and Desperado are this generation's Liger and Black Tiger, this generation's Dynamite Kid Tiger Mask, that rivalry for the ages. And this is about the only guy who's better than Taiji Ishimori in a one-on-one -on -one match with Hiromu. These guys are made for each other, and I can't wait to see what they do with this in a big key spot at Wrestle Kingdom where the match can breathe again. It's going to be something like this where it's very close to the top of the card. It won't be top, but it'll be close. And, uh, you know, you mentioned the roll call with LIJ, yet Desperado is, you know, right at the precipice. I'm going to just beating. shove. That never happened, Stephen. That never happened. That, that, that roll call prediction didn't happen. <laughs> but uh, uh, okay, we... so I I loved this. 
I am absolutely here for Desperado and Hiromu Takahashi at Wrestle Kingdom. When he made the announcement, my jaw just went, yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, Super Junior Tournament. That's the Super Juniors. I thought Desperado should have won. I thought that was like, why are they holding off on this? And I just kind of like gave up on it. They had the tournament with the Super Junior Tag League with him and, and Watto. And so I just kind of thought, okay, well, he's just not really in the plans right now. Oh, no, he's clearly in the plans. Uh, he's going to be at Wrestle Kingdom. And what's really interesting about this is that New Japan actually put out the article and they were talking with Desperado and Watto about how Desperado thought Watto could be the future ace of the division. So it's ultimately pretty interesting that the guy you've been partnering with all of a sudden gets a title shot against the guy as he's talking about his new frenemy friend pal Watto could be the guy to shepherd the division into the future. It's like they're planning ahead and I'm mm -hmm. all for it. Yeah, well, here's some uh, comments from the from the viewers, uh, and they have some really good ones here. Uh, Dunstan says, I really wish Nakajima joined New Japan because I think he and Ishimori in a faction would be very interesting. Yeah, that's, that would have been Nakajima in a match with Shingo at Wrestle Kingdom would be awesome. <laughs> and uh, Venkin mentions, the, so he Desperado is going to take some time off. Yes. So that he can be 100% for the Dome. I think we all want him to be. I, we would all prefer that he were just 100% rather than seeing 20 preview tags. We have, go ahead. We have go a ahead. Heal up, who's going to be 100% for the Dome. We got a Desperado who's going to be 100% of the Dome. We just need one more person with the D name uh, for the Triple D uh, <laughs> to be 100% for the Dome, but not to do a thing before that. We'll figure it go. out. There'll be somebody. <laughs> Hiromo and Ishimori was splendid and doing Desperado versus Hiromo with the Dome makes sense, according to Dunstan. And uh, he also makes a great point here. They've been separated in singles matches for over a year now. They haven't really says, been in a singles match with each other. And they're magic together. It's it's really going to be cool. I'm very excited for this. Desperado is, Desperado is probably one of my one of my favorite wrestlers overall yeah. right now. Not just yeah. a junior heavyweight. Just I have enjoyed everything Desperado's done for a very long time. Yeah. Uh, we on, on this show, we've been banging the drum for Desperado uh, for a while. That he's he's no longer underrated. I think people realize just how good he is. But I think we were on to it about a year before most were because you just see over and over again. It's like, you know, when you when you keep saying, you, go. <laughs> you know, the best part of this match was Desperado. And when you say it enough times out loud on a show, you start realizing it. And you're just like, oh, he's just one of the best guys. Yeah. And uh, Colin's asking what happened with Nakajima. Yeah, he showed up in all Japan. He showed up in all Japan. That's where Nakajima ended up. But, uh, you know, we but don't really know. Sure Shingo online. Yeah, yeah. So he might he might be still free agenting a little bit. Might be okay. Able to so freelance. in my mind, with the announcements of people and video packages that happened today, you don't want to do too many video packages in one night. So mm. if you're doing a video package now, potentially at the end of World Tag League, you maybe have a little bit more of a muted video package with somebody who's done with all their work in all Japan by then and could probably freshen up for a feud going into New Japan. I don't know. That's how I would do it. Yeah, that's not that's not any inside information on our part, but it is supposing that there is time for this to happen for Nakajima to show up. Especially there's going to have to be a little bit of interest in the World Tag League Finals at, in the middle of December, which is going to be one of the final shows. And we've got a pretty bodied card for Wrestle Kingdom right now, but there's still a few matches and a few people who don't have matches that's going to happen. 
And Brad has brought up one of my favorite New Japan matches of the last several years is the memories of that best of senior, Super Junior Finals between Hiromu and Desperado. Uh, Desperado uh, ripped his own mask off right there, just removed it because it was torn. Hiromu had torn it. And it just was a razor-thin margin of victory for Hiromu in a brilliant match. And it was where I think Desperado really became a junior main eventer in New Japan. Uh, and that was when... Uh, all of it came to fruition. What we've been saying for a while is that this guy's really, really good. We, had, we weren't, we weren't doing the show yet. We weren't, Jeremy and I weren't doing this show no. uh, at the time, but that was something that I have been thinking for a long time. So this guy deserves a run. He deserves a run. And uh, that was it. Uh, he got that super junior final. He didn't win the super juniors that year, but uh, that was the coming out party. We're like, okay, this guy plays on that level. Uh, on Reddit, on the new Japan Reddit, somebody posted from best of super junior 30, the match where Desperado got completely clowned by Yo for the entirety of the match, where Yo was just like loose and fucking around and just and just humiliating Desperado. And in my mind, I'm watching him like this is a fantastic Desperado match where he is taking the piss on losing to Yo, and it's like he is so good in so many ways. But it's also probably the best Yo match I've ever seen because he wrestled completely different and he's just owning Desperado top to bottom. And I, I completely forgot about it. And then I revisited. I'm like, this is delightful. Yeah. And so we also had the finals of the Super Junior Tag League match. So that was catch two two Francesco Akira and TJP against the House of Torture, Sho and Yoshinobu Kanemaru. And I, I'm going to go ahead and toot my own horn. I predicted that catch two two was going to win this uh, tournament. And uh, I, I, and I was very proud that they came through for me here. I just had that feeling when they switch the titles from Catch-2-2 to Knight and Kushida in order to get them to the Bullet Club. The idea was to eventually get to Bullet Club and Catch-2-2 when they didn't want to do it uh, back in the summertime. They wanted it on a bigger stage. And so we got to do this here. And uh, I was very happy that that is the way it turned out. And I think it's going to be a terrific match. But they did the whole House of Torture thing. They attacked before the bell this time, beat the hell out of them before the match even started. Uh, and uh, Catch-2-2 two, two did rally, uh, and Akira hit a somersault tope to all of them on the outside and cleared them all out. Of course, they worked TJP's neck. That's been the story of the tournament. Was his neck hold up long enough for them to win this thing? It's a house of torture match, so you're just waiting <laughs> yeah. for the ref. You're just waiting for the ref bump because nothing's going to happen for the ref. It's the Okada drop kick of the house of torture. Yeah. You know there's not going to be a finish until that happens. And Absolutely we got a blueprint to this match. Yeah. When it happened, House of Torture, of course, attacked. However, because there were other members of United Empire around, Callum Newman and Jeff Cobb came back. Great O'Conn was unavailable. We'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, they came out for UE and ran them all off. And one of my favorite parts is uh, Dick Togo dives on Jeff Cobb, who, of course, catches him. He then tosses him to Bolton Ole, no, and, and, and tells him, just carry him out. I'll get evil. And he, so he scoops up evil and carries evil out. Bolton carries out Dick Togo. Bolton I didn't enjoy that. beast of a man. Uh, Akira managed to stop the whiskey spit by Kanemaru and the wrench from evil. So Akira was on fire. Uh, and uh, once they got rid of all the gimmicks there, they hit uh, the double knees to the chest on Kanemaru. And so instead of converging from either direction, they just both basically gave him a B trigger at once. Uh, well, not really a V-trigger because they weren't holding his arms, but a running knee. Mm -hmm. And uh, the War Dogs, uh, anyway, they won the thing. They they were there uh, getting the win over House of Torture, the World Safer Democracy, all that stuff. 
And then afterwards, uh, they were posing with the trophies, and you could set your watch to this as well. They were attacked by the war dogs afterwards. So war dogs came out, and we we were supposing, Jeremy, not too long ago, that this could be a match to fill out the card at World Tag League. But no, it is indeed going to be at the Dome, catch 2-2 against uh, the war dogs, and not a four-way so far. Uh, so this will be Connors and Maloney against catch 2-2 in a one-team one versus one-team uh, match for the Which titles. Which one is better? A classic yeah, tag team title match. I thought it was really cool. And uh, there, there was a blueprint to a House of Torture match. Mm-hmm. With that said, with the blueprint comes the foundation. The foundation of these matches are pretty solid. And when you have the talent of TJP and Akira in this match, they outkick their coverage. If you, if you want to use that term, they made the blueprint of a House of Torture match so much better than it typically is. This was top-level interference, but top-level overcoming the obstacles. Everything you think a house torture match is, this is what it was. Still fun. The credit I will give to House of Tortures, that they are very effective as heels, and while it annoys the hell out of you, because we've mentioned before that it's not something New Japan does particularly well, when they interfere and win, interfere and win, interfere and win, when they do get it turned around on them, it is satisfying in its own way. It, it is satisfying. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it worked. And uh, Brad mentioned Show and Uncle Nobu are such a great team when there's not House of Torture BS. They work so well together. They're a good team. Those are two great wrestlers. I mean, Show is Show's very good. Kanemaru, been around for a long time, knows how to work, and is still excellent. Uh, Venkin Pior and Okada's dropkicks are perfect. Yeah, it's one of the most, uh, one of the more iconic moves in wrestling these days. And Dunstan says War Dogs versus Catch 2-2 is probably the best built story in the junior tag division in years. I'll agree with you. I think it's interesting that Connors and Maloney won their match with them in block play in this one. Now we're getting it in the finals. So that, you know, that, that would lean toward Catch 2-2 winning, but you never know. <laughs> never really know. But, uh, yeah, it is a good story because they have done a good job of keeping them apart in that one-on-one title match. So there is something about this we haven't really seen before quite yet in this way on this big stage. And Brad does mention if the War Dogs are losing a title on Wrestle Kingdom, I don't expect Finley to be losing any titles uh, on Wrestle Kingdom if that's going to happen. Dick Togo jumping right over the barricade was impressive. (laughs) Not a tall man, but he's got hops, doesn't he? He's got hops. Uh, It it seemed a little more flawless for a man that seems like he can't move from time to time. Uh, That was actually pretty impressive. So we also had the never open weight six-man tag team titles. and Even this was my – this was a fantastic match. It was. And, you know, the the uh, at first the champions took turns getting their ring time. So it was Ishii at first, then it was Tanahashi, then it was Okada. Uh, and, and there wasn't a whole lot of tagging in and out by the champions. But Ishii and Zach are magic together. They are really good. I love their segments where they uh, met in the ring. Uh, they couldn't touch on, each other? <laughs> yeah, they, it was amazing the way they could not hit a move on one another in this incredibly complicated sequence there. They must really have a lot of uh, great communication between the two of them because they just, these very elaborate uh, ways of not quite getting their moves on each other becoming close. TMDK hit Tank Busters on Okada and Ishii at about the 15-minute mark of this one. Then they hit Highway to Hell on Tanahashi, so things were looking really good for the challengers. Zach hit a penalty kick, but it was only a two-count. Uh, Tanahashi then countered a small package out of a Zack driver for the pin, 
this is another one that was fast paced, crisply worked, six guys who know what they're doing. This went 16 minutes and 15 seconds. Very entertaining match. And at the end of it, you had Tanahashi pinning Zach. So, of course, he was eyeing the TV title afterwards. I feel like this reign is really helping those six-man tag team titles again. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we had a big angle at the end. But let's start with the match, Jeremy. T- talk about this one. You really enjoyed it, too. So what I – this was just hardworking guys with sequences pros. Hey, Nichols and Zach Sabre Jr., they don't get their flowers as much as they really should because they're more utility men than anything else. What are we talking ever. about, Jeremy? You saw what happened when Atlantis got his flowers last week. He got the crap beaten out of him. Nobody yeah, wants flowers. but I just, you know. No, flowers. It's not flowers. So it's wrestling. No flowers. This, this match just, <laughs> I believed when I was watching it that TMDK could win this match. And mm-hmm. there weren't a whole lot of matches where I felt like the challengers could win this. And they really played on the vulnerability of Tanahashi and Ishii because there was no doubt in anyone's mind that Okada was not getting pinned in this match. So Mm -hmm. they never even used the idea of Okada being in jeopardy that that was even going to happen. So the entirety of the match was predicated on Tanahashi being in danger and Ishii being in danger and them getting hit with double and triple team moves over and over and over again. And if you remember, Zack Sabre Jr. pinned Tanahashi with a flash pin in the G1 so that Tanahashi getting the flash pin back on him in this match actually closes that circuit of storytelling that that Ghetto likes to do with these uh, within months of each other. So we may get another TV title match between Tanahashi and Zack Sabre Jr. That could potentially be a Wrestle Kingdom match, if not uh, a match at like Lone Star Shootout or the World Tag League Finals. Because well, we already know who Zach has at Lone Star Shooter. He's facing Mike Bailey. That's right. Speedball Mike Bailey. So, yeah, I'm going to say that Tanahashi and Zach Sabre Jr. are at uh, Wrestle Kingdom at this point. They just haven't, they haven't, they haven't finalized it because he's already got other title matches. So he's got, he's got 15 title defenses right now. He's got a 15 and he's shooting for 20 by the end of the year, is what they said on the ship. Do you think he'll hit 20 title defenses at the end of the year? Yeah, I think he's. I think he's going to pile them up late, and then the, maybe maybe the dome will be the. Well, no, the, he said by the end of the year. So maybe yeah, I think that the story is going to. He's going to get it, and then the dome is when it's going to be in true jeopardy. Do you think Tanahashi is within the twenty, or do you think he'll be at Wrestle Kingdom? I feel like that's the Kingdom match. Yeah. I, because just because I don't really know what else Tanahashi does. Yeah. I kind of thought it would be a really cool match to have Yoda Suji versus Zat Saber Jr. Mm-hmm. and have Yoda Suji be the guy to take the belt off them so all the Rewa have a title, uh, the TV title for Yoda, and then Ren and Shota would have the IWGP tag titles. And that would be kind of cool. Your roll call would be alive too. But uh, some type of roll call. But uh, basically, Zat Saber Jr. could have a. Uh, a match with the broom and it'd probably be four stars and above. So I don't, I don't really care who, who they have planned for him. Cause it's probably going to be awesome. And truthfully, they could do this at the world tag league yep. t- finals. Also, you could do that. I mean, the, the TV title, you know, that could it's be not, something else at the dome. It's, it Tanahashi, it's the TV title. You could have it on a semi main on the show and no one would be the wiser. Tanahashi's one of those guys that you could just have a surprise match 
with somebody yep. that we don't have on the radar for Wrestle Kingdom, and it'd be like, oh, cool, special match for Tanahashi. You know, so like, it doesn't have to be challenging for a belt. Although they could. So for he's this, not, I mean, he's not the person that they're wrapping a promotion around. We all know what Tanahashi is and what he does right now. If you want to put him in a 15-minute match with Zack Sabre Jr., fine by me. That seems like a totally acceptable thing. If you want to throw him in a tag match with somebody, honestly, it's okay. It's Wrestle Kingdom in 2024. Tanahashi has been there, and we are actively uh, cultivating a younger generation right now. There is uh, also a point to be made that World Tag League Finals, all these things, there are going to be angles at those shows to set up. We don't have the whole card for the Dome yet. So that's going to be coming into focus as we go forward. And Tanahashi and Zach might be one of those matches where Zach gets the win and the lights go out afterwards type mm-hmm. of thing to set up the Dome thing. So it doesn't necessarily have to be there, but it's a perfectly acceptable Dome match. There are just ways that you could also do Tanahashi versus X. And you could make it special enough for the dome because of Tanahashi, Tanahashi's reputation. So there's there's options there. So uh, Stephen, we've gone 49 minutes, and we have not <laughs> even begun to mention uh, this also very average match that's going to be set up for the dome as a result <laughs> of the post match angle from uh, the six man. So I was setting it up with the lights going out thing because the lights uh, went out after this one, and we got there. Who this handsome one eyed fellow? Brian Danielson has challenged Kazuchika Okada. He said he's going to be ready again by January 4th, and we are going to get the rematch that I have been pining for since uh, Danielson was unable to complete the match in the way they had originally designed uh, back at Forbidden Door. We're finally going to get that rematch. It's going to be in the Tokyo Dome. Brian Danielson gets his wish to have a Tokyo Dome uh, match and uh, hey, let's do it. Let's check it off the bucket list. Let's have the great match that we couldn't quite have because of that broken arm, although still a hell of a match. Uh, but let's do it all the way through. Let's do it. Hopefully no one breaks a bone this time. For the love of God, poor Daniel. Daniel. I should have put the money down on Thursday when I said I put good money down that uh, Brian Daniel couldn't be at Wrestle Kingdom. You should uh, bet on these things sometimes, don't you? It's like, hmm, this all seems funny how this all works out. So this is uh, excellent news. We excellent. talked on Thursday on our show that there were some timing issues and some business practices that made it seem very suspicious, this injury that Brian Danielson had. For a variety of reasons, protecting him from the anger of AEW fans as to why he's not wrestling when he's going to wrestle at Wrestle Kingdom, uh, ticket-buying audience, in addition to just keeping him healthy when this guy uh, has a proclivity of getting uh, phantom injured on the most random things. I'm not saying he's not injured right now, but it makes a whole lot of sense if he weren't. <laughs> All right, let's get to some comments on this one. Uh, so Dunstan says this six-man tag match was fantastic and the rain has been great. I think they've done a very good job with it, really. And Venkin says Okada only loses to people with a broken arm. <laughs> We've seen him drop a couple others. And they didn't do the six-man uh, titles on Wrestle Kingdom last year, so it could just be that the titles are off the board for the show. Yeah, that's that's very possible. And Dunst says, I think Tanahashi, Tanahashi versus Zach match should be on another show and not the Dome. Could be the one that sets up the Dome match. You're right. Uh, Dunstan also says, one of the young guys should have a title match at the Dome. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that, that might, Yoda they Suji's might all have a title match at the Dome. The Yoda Suji is a very good possibility for that. And Collins is talking about flowers. Guys getting them is a tradition in Japan I'll never get used to. Yeah, it is. It's incongruous because you they would they would bring these things, especially all Japan in the 80s and things. They would have these ceremonies where these uh, 
women in the formal gowns would come out and present a big bouquet of flowers to Stan Hansen and Bruiser Brody. It just was so incongruous. And I sometimes Hansen, who's blind as a bat when he doesn't have his glasses on, by the way, and this has been talked about, like one of the reasons he's so stiff is because he can't see you. Uh, he goes taking off to jumpstart a match and almost ran one of those women over one time. It was a riot. I mean, he came within an inch of just like running this poor woman who was probably five foot one and, you know, 90 pounds. Uh, he probably would have knocked her into the upper deck at Budokan Hall if they, if, uh, they hadn't pulled her out of the way in time. Uh, so yeah, it's been a perilous uh, job sometimes. I'll, I'll tell you this: if I were in the middle of a wrestling ring in Japan and somebody gave me flowers, I'd be into it. You and your flowers. I, 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 it's one of these days. They uh, smell nice. <laughs> now he can get another five star match because it's in the dome. Yeah, we don't care about stars on this show. That's one of the best parts about this show. We don't care. Uh, Dunstan says, uh, but I understand the point. I know I get the joke. We're just like, we don't, we don't trouble ourselves with such things. We, everybody on this show has watched enough wrestling that we know what's good and what isn't. We don't need it. Uh, Dunstan says dome Brian versus dome Okada is what I need. Boy. Yeah. I, what I would like most of anything else, more than anything else is for the match to just be able to have that near fall back and forth finish that they didn't get to do because his arm was busted and they and that was the thing when i was watching it before i knew the arm was broken i just thought there wasn't any drama it just the match just ended then i found out his arm was broken he couldn't do all of those things like the near miss rainmakers and the knees and all that and they just had to be careful because he knew his arm was messed up that's what i want i want the full okada danielson dramatic because no one's better at near falls and the twists and turns than okada is it's it's i mean okada and osprey are the two best wrestlers on planet earth Yes. And both of them are going to be in prominent spots on this show. And that's why I ask. And then Brad says, was this the best never open six-man title match? If not number one, it has to be top three. Yeah. I, and he mentions the other one I was just about to mention. The the match with the Blackpool Combat Club when Claudio Castagnoli barely made it to Osaka in time to get to the ring. That was a hell of a good match, too. That I just enjoyed their entire run. I also thought the match where they won against Strong Style was also pretty awesome. Yeah, they've had some good ones. I mean, well, look who it is. Look who's involved in these matches. I mean, these guys would fall out of bed and have a, a good match. And uh, and and Venkin says Kenny is the third. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. All right, yeah, Kenny probably is. Yeah, they're probably the third best wrestler in the world. Yeah. So right, this match, this uh, John Moxley Great Ocon match that uh, that we well, got right before this. This was my first holy shit moment of the show <laughs> when I was watching it, this match. Things are going to speed up in this analysis after this one. We're, we're going to talk about this one. The rest of it is going to be uh, shorter uh, little uh, shots Bullet here. Match. <laughs> this uh, became a singles match with Great O'Connor and John Moxley. They began brawling. They fell right out of the ring. They never really got it. Moxley never got into the ring. And uh, anyway, knocked him out. Jump start by Great O'Connor. They fight on the outside. The referee starts counting. It goes to a double count out in one minute, seven seconds. So I, I knew was, that wasn't it. That's I not why Moxley it. went to Osaka. <laughs> but he gets back on the microphone and says, I challenge you to a falls count anywhere. Well, the crowd was groaning and booing because they started to think, oh, maybe they're not going to do anything other than that. You know, that maybe this was just a setup for something else. And they were they were kind of groaning and booing. And then when Moxley got on the microphone and said, falls count anywhere, they did a nice job of teasing that they weren't going to give the fans what they want and then give them something more than they thought they were going to get. So nice, nicely done there. I liked it. This was awesome. Uh, this was really good. Okada was, was so good. So awesome, Steven. This match oh. was rad across the board. 
Uh, Go back and watch it, but I'm going to hit a couple highlights here. Hit the uh, highlights, and then I'll talk about my two favorite points of this entire Please. Match. Absolutely. There was, uh, Ocon was so good in this. They did not use the ring at all. They toured the entire building. And I Ocon put Moxley on a cart and ran him through an entire section of chairs. Just had people scattering like we haven't seen since the Hanson and Brody days. Mox began bleeding because he was wrestling. And that's what he does when he wrestles. He bleeds. But uh, like it, it made sense. Like Costco carts where you're buying a bunch of bulk product. <laughs> yes, he was on that. And uh, Moxley hit a gusher too, boy. He was just, uh, he was bleeding all over the place. And made a, it was very effective. Ocon rolled up Mox in the tarp that covers up the floor. <laughs> and then buried him in furniture. It was barricades, walls. They fought all the way around this place. I think, I, I really think they went all the way around the perimeter. I think they it did. did. Uh, Mox shoved Ocon off the stage. And then he took out a pair of scissors. Oh, my God. And he cut off Great Okan's ponytail. He cut and, the fucking ponytail. Oh, and, not, and then Okan hulked up and went nuts on him, which is exactly the right reaction. Just went nuts on him. It turned into an MMA fight on the floor. There was a tombstone on the floor for two. That looked pretty good. He protected Moxley real good on there. His, his head didn't actually get too close to the floor on that. But still, got a big ooh out of the crowd for the people that weren't right on top of it. The crowd was all about this. This this turned into a lot of fun for them. And everybody in those seats, there were 4,000 people at this show. It was a good turnout. Everyone got a good close look at these guys. Uh, Mox hit a low blow in the bleachers. Ocon went tumbling down a row of steps, taking out all kinds of things. Uh, no one's cell phone was safe in this one, boy. That might have got to have been kicked and stomped and dropped on, anything. Uh, Mox ended up choking out the great Ocon from there. This was so much damn fun. What a way to work this match. Jeremy, what were your highlights of this? So I work at I work in retail and, and freight and all that. So when I saw those <laughs> big pallet carts and they put Moxley on there and he, and Ocon just ran him through piles of chairs. It wasn't yeah. through an open area. Like Moxley went obstacle wise through. <laughs> Probably about 30 chairs. Uh, <laughs> and the audience put all those chairs back together to sit back down when they were done because they are a nice, polite audience. Because it's Japan. Right? Because it's Japan. Yeah, yeah. That looked fantastic. By the time he got up from said uh, race car derby style crash pad, Monk was completely busted open. It's mm. not only a few seconds later that he grabs the pair of scissors and he grabs Ocon by the ponytail and he drags him about 30 feet through the audience and then you see him pull the hair and you see him cut off Ocon's ponytail. Yeah, that, Watching that's, it, a, and that's I such a good point. An audible, holy fucking shit. That is such a good point, Jeremy. The, the fact that he grabbed him by the ponytail and drug him for a while... It was a nonverbal way of foreshadowing this that had the crowd like, he's not going to, he's not going to, oh, he's going to, he's going to try to, oh my God, he did. It was like, that kind of a build to it. So great. That made me feel like there were consequences in the show. And it's such a small thing where it's like, oh, this is an important show. Because if it wasn't an important show, O'Connor's not cutting off his ponytail. And I'm curious to see with the long hair what he's going to look like. It's not yeah. all gone, but it is now from going to the bottom of his back, now to the bottom of his neck. It is a considerable amount of hair that went bye-bye for Great O'Connor. He might be down to the Gareth Bale man bun, and nobody wants that for anyone. No one wants that for anyone. Uh, ended with what? A bulldog choke out in the, yeah. near the end, of, near the back of the arena. 
Great Ocon wakes up, wants to keep fighting. The uh, the young lions take him to the back. He goes mm-hmm. to the hospital. That plays into later on in the show. Man, this is just a blast. Really was this is when so the show fun. hit overdrive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the first part wasn't bad. And we're going to get to those matches. But this was the first thing, like you said, where you just thought, "Oh, we're doing something special tonight. Where this is going to be fun." And like if this is if this is in the middle of this show, what do we got for later? This was uh, match so- six of ten, and it was like then they told you after the Finley thing, like, "Oh, hey, now you're in first reading. Let's get some comments because we have some great ones here. I love our audience. Uh, Brad says, I love this match so much. This reminded me of those matches from the old days where it was just madness. Yeah. Some of that stuff like, you know, the Sheik and Abdul the Butcher and Tiger Jeet Singh just like tearing apart the entire building and so much fun. Um, He also says that Mox is a god in Japan, and I love that so much for him. Still undefeated. He has taken that. He has taken to that crowd. Yeah. So he has taken that crowd, and they've taken to him. Uh, he really enjoys it. You can tell that he's fired up when he gets there. So Dunson says this match surprised the hell out of me. Ocon versus Mox was really good. And he just says, I, I hate how Mox in Japan is just better. It, it does seem to give him a bit of a charge. I, I'm not going to turn this into an AEW hate thing, but mm-hmm. I like how AEW talent is booked better in New Japan than they are in AEW. And uh, Brad's, I thought we were headed to Ocon versus Suji in a hair versus hair match, but Mox cutting the hair was such a great moment. They've been teasing some kind of hair match all year. Remember when Shingo and evil were like taunting each other about it. And I think it got to where, where new Japan said, okay, who's, who's going to lose. And they looked at each other and just said, well, he is. <laughs> it's almost a better way to do a lose your hair match. Cause you know, it's the shock factor. Yeah. Nobody wanted to lose or something like that. So yeah, I, they've been teasing a hair match. I think we're going to get one eventually. I think we will. Yeah, probably. They just got to find whoever it is willing to go bald. Uh, Vankin says, do we have more shows to do Okan and Osprey versus Moxley and Shota? Oh, I, if Okan is willing to, if Okan, Osprey and Shota are willing to come to the States, I think that's probably the only way that's going to happen. Cause the amount of trips that Moxley's making to Japan to miss, uh, miss AEW shows is starting to, it's starting to pile up. He's already going to miss, be missing collision and rampage this next week. So, uh, you know, Tony's got to use different talent to fill his shows out. He says, uh, Venkin says Moxley in Japan is special. It, it has been a good run for him there. So a lot of fun. And then we had a uh, great, uh, we also had this one, David Finlay against uh, Tonga Loa. So this match was only a stopover on the way to the angle in the end, which is what we suspected. We cried angle alert. Now the angle didn't come during this match, but we said on Thursday that this was a weird match to just throw on a big show because it's not a big match. And we figured that it was a setup for something. As it turns out, it was something after the main event that did turn out to be important. But this was simply a way for Finlay to get a victory, and it was a stopover. There's not a whole lot to say about it. It wasn't a great match. It wasn't bad. It was just a way to remind everybody that Finlay exists. This is the Finlay MO. Uh, Battle in the Valley last year, San Jose. He had a mid-card match, won it, showed up later on in the card, made his presence known with the shillelagh, and then set up his feuds and, and went from there. This is exactly the same blueprint. He had his middle-of-the-match card with uh, Tangaloa. It was fine. Uh, I will say that I liked that it was wrestled like two big guys just trying to pound the heck out of each other rather than any finesse or style to it. Uh, one of the things that I thought was impressive was Finley doing the sunset power bomb out of the corner and lifting Tangelo up and getting him up and giving him more of a violent power bomb, more 
than like a stylized looking powerbomb. It was more of a bruiser match. And for that, I appreciate that they worked that style. Before that one, we had the tag team match between Naito and Yota Suji facing Sonata and Yuya Uemura. Now, we've been talking about the Rei with Three Musketeers because the company's been promoting this. I might be on board with saying that Uemura is just as good as those three. Oh, he is. He is really good. And this match really showed up. Uh, Naito and Sonata were careful in this match. Not lazy. Not what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. But they were careful. Calculated. And, they knew how much to give to not hurt themselves, but at the same time make sure that, you know, the crowd was happy with what they were getting. So they let Suji and Uemura work most of this one. It only went 11 minutes and 10 seconds. But they also harken back to something that was one of the more enjoyable Young Lions subplots in that these two wrestled each other to 22 consecutive time limit draws <laughs> in Young Lions singles matches when they were first starting out. Their first 22 one-on-one -on -one matches were all time limit draws. Since then, Suji leads the series in singles matches 15, 10, and 22 is the record there. So Chris Charlton brought that back up. that These two have a longstanding one-on-one -on -one rivalry. I thought there was good stuff between these guys. And I also think that uh, we're seeing Naito and Sonata start to build a rhythm against each other mm -hmm. because the stuff we saw in there, again, calculated, but good. And I, it reminded me that these two haven't worked a ton against each other. Well, they were in the same faction. against each other. They have worked in the same faction so long that some of these preview tags are actually instead of giving away too much or seeing them in the ring with each other too much, it's giving them a chance to build a rhythm because they had faced each other in tournament play. You know, they, sometimes they would do things in the new Japan cup or in the G one, but there haven't been a lot of Naito Sonata matches against one another. And this is a big one at the dome. So you want it to be good. And I think that they are finding little mini stories to tell within. So pocket to build the bigger story. Yeah, so I thought that was good. So again, and that this the gene blast, uh, the gene blast of <laughs> spear on Uemura. I, I know I, I love that name because it's so gross. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and then uh, they mentioned I, I did he like just this. Explodes over his opponent. <laughs> Chris Charlton said it sounded like uh, it sounded like a guy, uh, a jobber from the territory era, is like already in the ring. Gene blast. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, yeah, I remember that. I laughed at that uh, one. I thought that was pretty. Uh, funny. So, you finally took the took the pin. Uh, yeah. you've been protected up to this point. This was a good night. You know, if they're going to do it, this is the night to do it. One, one big pin that, you know, you don't have to beat a dead horse with that. Um, the only other thing that I was going to say is while you have the Rewa with Yoda, Sonata, and, or Yoda, Shoda, and Ren, I like that you can do with Yuya as the guy with a chip on his shoulder for being excluded from that group and then having it play out in that way where he's like, I'm just as good as you guys. I don't know why the company uh, treats me like I'm an outsider just because I showed up a little later. And even so, he's already sort of a half member of just five guys because remember part of his condition for joining was he gets he's singles get matches match. against everybody. Yeah. yeah. So he, he's not necessarily buddy, buddy with all of them anyway. So it's an interesting little subplot with him. Well, and we uh, Dunstan, see what him and Taichi in the world tag league. So maybe we'll get something out of that. Dunstan says, I don't know about you yet. I got to see him in a one-on-one -on -one situation. Well, that's fair. They haven't done a whole lot of that. So he, but there's time. He just got back. Venkin says, uh, I mean, Jeremy told us before that Naito and Sonata weren't going to eat a single pin. No, absolutely not. You crazy? 
Absolutely no pins. No, I mean, you don't no. need tea leaf for that one, but I appreciate you giving me the credit. <laughs> well, well, I mean, they've even gone to the point of just doing draws and said, we're just yeah. not going to beat anybody tonight. But those matches have been good. Those draws have been enjoyable. And Brad, Brad has some sartorial <laughs> uh, commenting uh, to do. He says, I'm not sure how I feel about the Elvis entrance cape. I love capes, but it just seems a little weird on him. It's a choice, isn't it? As, as It's a choice as far as an outfit goes. Not everybody pulls off a cape. All right. Let's see what we got next. Uh, we one. have the six-man tag. And again, we're going to start picking up the pace here a little bit because there's less to talk about on these, but there's still some stuff. The Kevin Knight and Kushida T and Tamatanga crew. So this is kind of a Hantai, Gorillas of Destiny mix here. The Intergalactic Jet Setters and Tamatanga. They faced uh, the LIJ crew of Shingo Takagi, Titan, and Bushi. The story that they told here was that Tamatanga wins titles, but he has a hard time defending them. He's won the Never open weight title three times. He's made one successful defense. Uh, but everyone got some shine in this one. Knight got crazy distance on a springboard dive into the aisle. Uh, Tama Tonga hit the gun stun on Bushi to win. He wants a rematch with Shingo. Shingo said he would think about it. That was really the story here that we might get some sort of rematch between Shingo and Tama Tonga. And that doesn't feel like a dome match to me. I it's think there might be something all. else for Shingo. Yeah. I feel yeah. like it. it is too past the time before the next a big challenger for Shingo. As much as I love Tamatonga, we talked about it last week, he is not going to be what feels like a focal point of this promotion for the next few months, at least in the singles division. So we're going to close the chapter on their feud, win or lose, Tamatonga versus Shingo. I kind of don't see Shingo winning the title just to lose it immediately back or to drop it immediately back to Tamatonga. So that's where the Nakajima stuff comes in, where I'm thinking that's going to happen after we get a, uh, a pretty definitive finale to the trilogy of matches between Shingo and Tamatonga. So let's get to some of these here. Now, oh, there, yeah, this is how it's done, apparently. So, mm. so Brad says that Shingo's cape is a beast. That's a final boss look. All right. So you, you need to take some notes off of that. I won't argue with you there. I think that's about right. And, uh, he also says that Nakashima, Nakajima, I got to get that right. We got a Nakashima and a Nakajima. Nakajima, uh, the former uh, uh, former Noah uh, competitor uh, versus Shingo with the Dome would be awesome. Yep. One of Young Lion and one of Hungry. We're, we're right. all fingers crossed that we get Nakajima <laughs> against somebody at the Dome. Uh, could also be a guy for Tanahashi, too. Just yeah. But it is almost certainly not a coincidence that Shingo and Nakajima are chirping at each other on uh x that seems to be uh, i'm very excited just for the idea of them chirping at each other <laughs> dunston says i really hope the rematch isn't at the dome shingo needs a, a big or new challenge this, this is what i was hitting at last uh a little while earlier you have the video with danielson at this show but if you were to yeah. do it at the world tag league final and do it another video of nakajima you lose impact but if you do one video here and then you do one video there all of a sudden no one's complaining oh you just did a video with some other guy and we've already lost impact. It's going to be TNA again next year. Uh, but yeah, I know it. Uh, yeah. And uh, Dunstan says Nakajima has a title match tomorrow in all Japan, keeping our eyes on that. We also have some questions I want to get to uh, here. Uh, Colin asks, how were uh, Julia and Mayu's matches at the New Japan US shows? Mayu's matches next week. She's wrestling Stephanie Vaquer in Dallas on Friday. <laughs> and I will be there. Uh, so I will be able to report on that. I'm terribly excited. At the Julia show against Hayan was wonderful at Fighting Spirit Unleashed. And Hayan, we all agreed, was not carried. Absolutely did her part. Julia was wonderful as always. 
And uh, it was a really good match. And I think everybody would like to see more of Hyan in addition to uh, Julia. But, of course, it was a good match that Julia won. And as we said over and over, that belt ain't going anywhere until Mercedes Monet is involved. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's all coming up. So I'm, I'm fired up. I'm only six days away from seeing Iwatani, uh, one, of the, one of the goats. So I'm fired up. And, uh, okay, let's get back to this and see what we got here. We also have the United Empire uh, straight tag match. Cal Newman and Jeff Cobb against Oscar. Oh, wait a minute. Did I miss the yeah, four-man? I missed the four-man. Here we go. We had some teams eight from... Eight-man. <laughs> We have four-way tag team, uh, Desperado and Watto, the War Dogs, TMDK, that'd be Eagles and Fujita in this case, Musashi and Yo. So these are four teams that were in Super Junior Tag League that did not make the finals, of course, and uh, they threw them all together and had a five-minute, 36-second match that involved eight people. So as you can imagine, this was very quick. Everybody got in a little bit of stuff. It was really too fast to register much. The one thing that did come through for me, Jeremy, did you notice? Desperado took the T-shirt from Master Watto at long Loved last. Loved it. And uh, Robbie teased the quick win again. You know, remember how uh, Fujita and Eagles got a flash pin on uh, the War Dogs to screw up their run to the finals right there. Uh, but the entire match ran in to break up that pin before he could get it. <laughs> uh, then after that, it was just full speed ahead. And uh, Eagles put the Ron Miller special on Musashi. But before Musashi could tap, Desperado got a pinning combination on Fujita. And, of course, now we know that Desperado was going to be set up as Hiromu's challenger, so they decided to put him over early. Everybody sees him getting a victory. Nothing wrong with that. And uh, that was how they worked this one. But only five minutes and 36 seconds, so not a lot to say about anyone standing out. No one had time to. Before the Hiromu match happened, I kind of thought, are they going to try and make it a four-way and put Desperado and Watto and then throw another team in at the end of next month and make it four-way? No, no, they're just sending Desperado for a singles run uh, against Hiromu, which I am completely here for that. Uh, in addition to that, when uh, when Watto and Desperado did the t-shirt thing, in my mind, the meme happened. like, did we just become best friends? And I was like, <laughs> they did just become best friends. Uh, this has been earned. I... I know that there's a lot of people who were not watching Best of the Super or Super Junior Tag League that really have no idea of the uh, build. But this is one of those things that, like, when you're watching WWE and you want to see Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn hug it out and they haven't done it for, like, <laughs> five, ten shows, this is the same thing. This is the same level of, like, Desperado and Watto are bros now. It, it, it's tenuous, but it's real. And he, he didn't put it on, but he did something probably better, which is he always comes out with that strong style uh, towel in his the waistband of his tights. Uh, he doesn't really wear like tights. They're, they're pants. Yeah, it's almost like, yeah. And he, he put that on next to it. And, and, you know, that was that meant a and lot. The crowd to saw it and they all reacted. Yeah, and it, was, it was fun. It was it was, it was. And uh, Brad says he almost shed a tear when Des- a tear when Despy took the shirt and put it on his waist. Yeah, it was it was pretty great. And uh, so I don't I did not see these two matches. So you're just gonna walk us through and we'll take it home. Okay. And uh, Venkin said everything makes sense. Yeah, it, when you look at this thing top to bottom, almost every result led to something else. It's just really good booking. This was uh, so we've we've had some criticism of Ghetto this year, but the Ghetto was on this one. This was a good day for him. Uh, the other match here was uh, Callum Newman and Jeff Cobb against Oscar Loiboy and Yudo Nakashima. And you can imagine that uh, how this one went. Of course, it was a win for United Empire. But uh, my favorite part of this one here, uh, Jeremy, uh, this was a fairly basic match, except at one point, Loiboy and Nakashima were on the outside. 
they have been knocked to the outside. They put their arms around each other and stood up, which always single, signals a dive, right? You know, that mm-hmm. someone's going to do a dive, except Cobb was the one in the ring. <laughs> and Cobb starts hopping up and down on his on his on the balls of his feet, and he starts getting the crowd up, and the, and that and that crowd suddenly was paying attention because they were just kind of surfing through that one, you know, and applauding for a few things. They're like, "Oh crap, what? Hey, wait a minute, is Jeff Cobb about to do a dive?" He started up, but Callum Newman came in and ran in and did it instead. <laughs> so they teased it nicely. It was kind of Bob Need wouldn't be able to handle that. We all know that. Uh, he ended up getting the tour of the islands on Oscar Loibe and got the win that way. So uh, the other one was a pre-show match, the Frontier Zone six-man tag match. This one only Rocky went six. Eight. Only went six minutes and forty seconds. So there's not a whole lot to say about this one either. But uh, Bolton. Taguchi and the DKC defeated uh, Mochizuki Jr., who I thought looked the best of the three, and Strong Machine J, who is, according to Chris Charlton, the son of Super Strong Machine, and uh, Yoshiki Kato. Uh, that was six minutes and 40 seconds. Not a whole lot of time to do much of anything. I thought Mochizuki had good-looking kicks in it, uh, and that was contrast uh, nicely with uh, the New Japan guys. Taguchi ended up getting the ankle lock tap out on him so sure kind of feels like dkc got a thank you match for all the hard work the, over the last couple of weeks and as brad mentions here we did not get any uh butt stuff from taguchi he was it was relatively straightforward and brad also says that loy bay is going to be special he's good i've been saying the same thing i love his fire this kid's got all the emotion he's starting to fill out uh, i think he's going to be very good i think nakashima is working his way toward being another makabe in that sense, just kind of the big gorilla type of uh, unchained gorilla type. Thought it was good. And Benkin said, uh, I saw today talk on Twitter about Jeff Cobbers. <laughs> That's so great. Yeah. Well, I, uh, yes, please. <laughs> Let's go do that. Let's do that. Every time I see uh, Bolton Oleg beasting people around, I think you're going to be in Bolt Club one day. You're going to be in Bolt Club. <laughs> He's going to break all of our hearts and turn. He's going to destroy the- everyone and be the monster that we all can't wait to turn and, and become our hero. You, 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 basically, you book him like Batista for the next four years, and the dude will be a huge star. Interesting point. All yeah. right. Well, we'll see what they do. But yeah, Loibe is awfully good. All these guys are. Like Nakashima has a lot of potential. Bolton has potential. But we're really coming close to a new era because almost everyone who's come back from Excursion is exciting mm-hmm. and has some sort of it factor about them that I really feel is, is there. And we even saw master Watto step up this year and he was the one that you thought, mm, they might've missed. They might've missed. I don't think they missed anymore. I think Watto's had the kind of year where you're like, okay, he might not be the ace of the division while yet. Desperado and Hiromu <laughs> are there yet. Uh, and, he, and he might not turn out to be with Fujita, you know, with there, uh, that type of thing. Fujita, another one. Good Lord. But the young talent in new Japan, is starting to blossom at a time when Tanahashi can struggle sometimes because of his knees. Uh, Naito's near closer to the end of his career than the beginning. Yeah, and Okada is still there, and there's still other people around there. But but uh, he's the is, he's the guy from an old generation to the new yeah. generation that keeps the connectivity connective tissue between all the generations. Okada's still going to be a stud. And it's going to take move heaven and earth for these guys to beat him. But when it does happen, he's going to be the the gatekeeper to greatness for these guys. I feel like we're going to be watching really great New Japan matches for a very long time. And that makes me very happy. We'll be doing them right here on the show. (laughs) Right here on the show. What are the comments we got before we wrap this up? 
Well, I mean, I think we got them. Uh, the, that was uh, that was the last ones we had from the guys out here. But really appreciate the contributions today, guys. We had a lot of fun interacting with you guys on this one. I'm glad you could take time out on your Saturday to join us to talk about Power Struggle. We're going to be back at a regular time on Thursday. Have plenty to talk about, including what we've set up for the Dome. We'll preview the Lone Star Shootout. And we should have some more information on World Tag League by then, I believe, if the calendar yep. is correct. But we'll know. Steven, we run on Thursday. And I think that we should skip Thanksgiving because there's only three World Tag League shows that we mm. would be missing that week. And we should do a super show the week after. What do you okay. think about that? I think that's probably a fair idea. And I think everyone's going to be busy on Thursday eating their brains out and watching football and all that. We've done multiple shows. This is our extra show this week <laughs> or this month. So yeah. you got quality content. We're going to skip the Thanksgiving show in a couple of weeks. We'll keep you posted on that. But yeah, thanks for joining us and speaking strong stuff, talking about Power Struggle 2023 and what was a hell of a New Japan show. Really fun day of wrestling here and a, a long show that paid off all the way through. And as Brad mentions, we're in the home stretch, two months away from Wrestle Kingdom. And I think that uh, I am anticipating it even more now that I know some of these five, matches. Now I'm at an eight. Let's get there it we go. 9.5. <laughs> we just need Nakajima in there. That'll help a lot. Heck yeah. So, all right, so see you on Thursday, Jeremy. We'll see you on Thursday, Stephen. Thanks, everybody, who joined us today. We really, really appreciate it. And uh, don't forget, Power Bombshells is on tomorrow. There's going to be more content here on this YouTube channel. There was a Crown Jewel show with our right. esteemed leader, Garrett Gonzalez, that just aired prior to this. I'm a lot sure of news coming from that one. going into this, so you should check it out. I didn't watch WWE because I was watching this, but I texted Garrett Gonzalez and said, hey, How's that show? And he's like, it's average. It's okay. And I said, that's cool. This show fucking rocks. <laughs> I think we should end right there on that one. For Jeremy Feinstone, I'm Stephen Conway. Today did rock. Thanks for watching Speaking of Strong Style. We'll talk to you again very soon. <laughs>